Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, and then we'll, we'll spend most of our time in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4. I want to teach out of Mark chapter 4, but I want to set some things up as we kick off a brand new series today called Anchor for My Soul. Come on, somebody say anchor. I think this is appropriate, especially for us in South Louisiana. How many of you know sometimes storms can come out of nowhere? Severe thunderstorms be upon you and you you didn't even see it coming. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Remember several years ago, we were one of those summer afternoon storms and didn't realize how intense it was going to be. And I looked up in my backyard, and we have this trampoline. Now, it's not just a trampoline. It's kind of the super deluxe trampoline that has the, the netting all the way around it. How many of you know that when you jump on a trampoline, you got to have the net? It saves lives. Yeah, after the storm, I looked in the backyard. I didn't see the trampoline. You ever been on a search for your trampoline? (laughs) It took a walk to the neighbor's backyard, and it it hit a tree and was in about a 1,000 pieces in the neighbor's backyard. How many of you know we all need anchors? Your soul needs an anchor. My soul needs to be tied and tethered to something that's solid and secure. Can I have a good amen? You know why? Because our souls have a tendency to drift. Your soul, and and God knows this, my soul has a propensity to drift. My soul has a propensity to be distracted. I mean, storms come and and next thing you know, you're, you're looking at something else and Man, you're, you're off course. You're, you're off point. My soul has a tendency to be discouraged, and so God knew that we would need anchors. And so this series, I think, is going to be super helpful for us as a church. I think this is a timely series. Speaking of anchors, I, I, in studying for this, I, I came across an article out of Time magazine. This was in the 1950s, okay? In the 1950s, a Time magazine article was studying actually a Bible college student who spent 18 months trying to extract all the promises out of God's Word. And in that article, it documented this student discovered there were 7,487 promises in the Bible. 7,487. That's a lot of promises. One thing I've discovered about God, he's not just a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. The verse, if you're taking notes and you can study along, you see in the app where we're going, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. I think this is kind of the anchor verse of this series. Check this out, Hebrews 6, 18. So God has given both his promise, somebody say promise, and his oath, say oath. He's given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. (laughs) Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence. Come on, somebody say confidence. 
you can have great confidence as you hold to the hope that lies before you. Verse 19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? Now, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews actually identifies two things that are unchangeable, two things that we can hold on to, both God's promise and his oath. Now, what's a promise? How many of you have made a few promises? Okay, you married couples better be raising your hand right now. A promise is a commitment by someone to do something or to not do something. When you make a promise, you're giving your word. In the Old Testament, when, 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 people would, when two individuals would come into covenant, when they would make a promise, they would literally do this. They would take an animal. Again, this is an Old Testament practice. To make a promise, and a covenant in the Old Testament, they would take an animal and they would sacrifice that animal and they would split it into two parts. And those individuals making a promise or a covenant would walk in between the pieces of that animal. And what they were saying was this. If I break my promise to you, then what happened to this animal, may it happen to me. How many know they take their promises seriously? In fact, God took his promise so seriously that now in the, in the new covenant, come on, co a new promise, you got an old covenant. Hebrews says you got a new covenant, a better covenant established by better promises. What did God do? He didn't give an animal. He sent the Lamb of God, his son. And Jesus was literally ripped to pieces on that cross. That was God's promise to us. The writer of Hebrews says that not only can we hold to his promise, but we can hold to his oath. Now, what's the difference between an oath and a promise? A promise is a commitment to do something. But an oath is swearing to a higher power. Okay, I'm not just giving you my word but that's why you've heard some people say, well, I swear to God. You know, we weren't allowed to say that in my house. I don't know how you were raised, but we didn't say that. You know, but, but when you make a promise to a higher power, there's a certain binding to that name that you invoke. God gave us not only his promise, but he gave us his oath. And here's why I believe this to be true. Because he knew that we would struggle with doubt. Why? Because men make promises that they don't always keep. Come on, talk to me. Has anybody been on the receiving end of a broken promise? Somebody gave you their word and you thought it was binding, but then something happened. That's why we have terminology now where we say, hey, I promise. Okay, do you pinky promise? Right? I mean, have you, have you, have you seen that? Do your kids do that? Pinky promise. You know, or, or we say, you promise? Okay, no crosses. You can't cross any fingers. You can't cross your, you know, somebody make a, you know, they say something, but oh, my legs were crossed. So see, I wasn't really bound to what I said. You know, sometimes we, and we weren't allowed to say this either. Mama, if you're watching, I'm sorry. But we say, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a thousand needles in my eye. How many's ever had, anybody say that? Y'all did? Okay. God knew that man would make promises that he couldn't keep. And he knew that as humans, we would doubt promises that were given. So God says, I'm not just making a promise, but I'm giving you my oath. I'm putting my name to every promise that I've given. Notice what the writer says here in Psalm 138, 
Verse 2, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. I love that. All 7,487 promises in this book, God's saying, I'm putting my name to each and every one. It's not just a promise, but it's an oath, and I'm guaranteeing what I'm telling you by putting my name to it. Why is God's name important? I thought about this as, as our children grew up, and my oldest, she's 24 now. I remember when, when she moved out of the house. And so I had a conversation with her about, baby, I love you, but it's time to get off the payroll. <laughs> Come on, all the parents said. We train our kids to be independent, right? And so now that you're in an apartment, you know, that car that I'm paying for, it's time for us to rework some things. Well, Daddy, I'm not quite sure I'm ready. Okay, well, we're going to take a step. Now, so here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to put the car, now, instead of it being my car payment, it's going to be your car payment. She's like, that pinky promise? <laughs> what did I do at the bank? I had to co-sign for her car. Now, the payment was her responsibility, but by co-signing, I put my name in writing, and I was guaranteeing to the bank, and I had to explain this to her, Alexa, the car owns the bank. You don't own it, but you have a responsibility to pay. Now, by co-signing, I'm telling the bank, if she can't make good on it, I have all the resource necessary to make good on this promise. And I want you to know, as over the next four weeks, as we talk about the promises of God, he has put his name to every promise that he's given you. And by putting his name, not just making a promise, but that oath, that higher binding commitment, he's saying this, I have all the resource necessary to make good on this promise. Can I have a good amen? And so God's promises, they act as an anchor. And so I, I want us to be really, as a church, here's what I prayed this weekend leading up to this series. I think this is so important. As a church, we are going to stay solid with the scriptures. Man, we're going to stay in God's word. His word, his promise, his oath is an anchor to our soul. In fact, when you came in today, you got one of these bookmarks. And, and, and on the, this bookmark has two sides. And what I'm going to teach you today is one side, the, the promises in the storm. And you can see the three promises we're going to go over today. Next week, we'll talk about the three promises on the back side of this bookmark. And make sure you get this. This is great as you're doing your daily Bible reading to keep this in your Bible. But we're going to go over six promises in the next two weeks. Uh, week three, we'll talk about how to walk in the promises. How do you claim a promise? Uh, and then we're going to finish with waiting on God's promises. Um, and now, and let me say this too. I, I want to be very clear when we talk about God's promises. There's two disclaimers I want to give you before we go to Mark chapter 4. When you talk about the promises of God, you need good biblical context. You're not just randomly picking and choosing. Oh, I like that verse. I'm going to claim it as mine. You know, you don't, you don't pick and choose. You need good context. Okay, who's the author? What's being said? What's the context of what God's trying to communicate? It's not like Izzo's where you walk through the line and you say, man, I want this, but I don't want that. You know what I'm saying? We don't treat the word of God like that. We need good context in what's being said. 
But then also, I want you to notice there's a difference. Some promises are unconditional, and some promises are conditional. There are some promises that are based strictly on the character and nature of God, and it doesn't matter what we do or say. But there are other promises where God, he frames it like this. If you, then I will. Sometimes people want to claim the then I will of God. Oh, now you see where we're going. But God, you said. He's like, okay, back it up a little bit. But what did I say before that? If you, there are certain qualifications when it comes to our obedience and our surrender. If you do this, God says, then I guarantee you this will happen. And so, you know, today across all of our campuses, I'm excited. We have this Bible promise book, okay? Now, we can't talk about all 7,487 promises over the next month, but this is a great resource. In the cafe, you can pick this up today on your way out. It's at all of our campuses. This is a great way to begin to familiarize yourself with what God has promised and the, the oath that he has committed to his people. And so I think this is a fantastic resource. In the table of contents, you have you know, things like uh, anger, children, contentment, faithfulness, grace, help in troubles. Holy, it, it, the, the promises of God are given in a topical format here. I think this is a great place, a great way to start your summer. Amen? Now look at Mark chapter 4. Okay, All of that was set up. Mark chapter 4. I want to teach you three promises out of this story in Mark chapter 4. And here we see in Mark 4, Jesus is, he's on the lake shore. He's pressed by the crowds. He, in this chapter in Mark 4, he had taught four parables back to back to back to back. I think about that as a pastor preaching four sermons back to back to back to back. People were pressing in on him so much so that Jesus had to get in a boat and push out from among the people. I love that, that the gospel is not just contained to the platform, the podium, the synagogue, the church. Jesus is going to find a boat, and he's going to get the word out to the common person. I love that. And so as Jesus is teaching from this boat, these four chapters, uh, then he, these four stories, four parables, he says this in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had finally come, he had said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling up. Verse 38, but Jesus, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Familiar story. In fact, I've been on this very sea, the Sea of Galilee. At its widest margin, it's eight miles wide. At its longest point, it is 13 miles long. And you can tell by the disciples' reaction the severity of the storm. They say, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we are about to perish? Now, in, in this first movement of this, 
this episode, I want you to see, we come across the very first promise of God. Number one, the promise of his presence. Notice Jesus is in the boat. Look at what it says in verse 36. When they left the crowds, they took Jesus with them in the boat just as he was. Took him in the boat. Can I tell you this? You need Jesus in your boat. You need him in your boat. You know why? Because not all the storms of life are in the forecast. Some storms come out of nowhere. Now, listen, I know that truth be told, sometimes we create our own storms and then we blame God when it rains. I I understand. If you're always in a storm, don't check the weather. Check your decisions. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we create our own storms. But sometimes, uh, just as in the the disciples' case, they were simply obeying Jesus. They got in the boat, but the smartest thing they did was take Jesus with them. The Bible says they put him in the boat just as he was, all weary, all worn out, a full day of preaching. Man, he was exhausted. But Lord, if we're going to the other side, you're coming with us. Let me stop right here and, and encourage you. The promise of his presence, he guarantees, I will be with you. Now, notice he doesn't say the promise is not that, that there won't be any storms. Sometimes we feel like, hey, if I'll just you know, say yes to Jesus and surrender my life, then every day is going to be sunshine and blue skies and 75 degrees. <laughs> you know, it don't work that way. Sometimes you say yes to Jesus and boom, you're in a storm. Man, it's like, where did this come from? Man, well, I didn't expect this to be so difficult. The promise is not in the weather. The promise is in his presence. And and I feel like some of you are here today, and you are in a storm. And it's not just a little shower. It's severe. These are circumstances that are beyond your control, beyond your ability to maintain. But the good news is this. Jesus is with you. You need to know this. If Jesus is in your boat, you're going to be all right. Every day you wake up. I love the language. Look at the language here. Read that again, verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. It's like, okay, Jesus, you done? All right, come on. You're coming with us. It reminds me, every day we wake up, we need to make a conscious decision to put Jesus in that boat. You know why? Because you need Jesus in your family. I need Jesus in my marriage. I need Jesus raising these kids. Come on, somebody. I need Jesus in my finances. Can somebody help me today? Man, I need Jesus at my job. Come on, Lord, talk to me. Talk. I need Jesus in my future. I need Jesus in my calling. I need Je- Lord, you're getting in this boat with me. Don't leave home without him. Now, Jesus is there, but you got to shift your focus. You've got to become less self-conscious and more God-conscious. Here's the promise, Deuteronomy 31.8. God reminded Moses as they were about to enter into the promised land. God says, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. Can somebody say amen? Come on, if Jesus is with me, then I have everything I need. If Jesus is in my boat, then it doesn't matter what the weather is. 
I can't control the forecast. And some of you have been struggling to try to control outcomes. And God's saying, surrender the weather to me. Just make sure I'm in the boat with you. Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is with me. He's with some of you. You need to hear that today. The Lord himself is with you. And if God is with you, then it doesn't matter what comes against you. Now, I'm not trying to minimize pain or struggle, but what I'm trying to do is build your faith because some of you have set your eyes on the storm and you've forgotten that Jesus is in your boat. Okay, okay all right, all right. I got to hustle with this. Look at what it said, verse 38. But Jesus was in the stern, that's in the back of the boat where you steer, in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him up, said, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing and Jesus awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Mm, mm, mm. The power of the spoken word. Not only the, the promise of his presence, but notice what Jesus said. He said, Peace be still. Somebody say peace. This is the promise of peace. Now, I love the picture of Jesus asleep. That's kind of cool. I mean, he's just total chill. Not a care in the world. Totally oblivious to what's happening around him. Do you know God can give you such peace on the inside that it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside? Oh, man. Listen, I think there's something godly about taking a nap. Come on, talk to me. Talk to me. How many of you have a nap in the forecast this afternoon? Yes, Lord. That's Sunday afternoon, Holy Ghost nap. Man, when I sleep, I sleep hard, too. How many of you, when you're out, you're out? Yes, indeed. Rachel's fearful. When I sleep, she's like, man, if somebody try to break in this house, I'm on my own because you ain't waking up. What was it that woke Jesus? It wasn't the wind. It wasn't the waves. It was the cries of the disciples. Can I tell you this? When you cry out to the Lord, it gets his attention. Spurgeon said this, Jesus is asleep, but he only sleeps until we cry more loudly to him. When we get into such trouble that we cannot help ourselves and we feel our entire dependence on him, then will he reveal his power. Some of you, you just need to cry out to the Lord. Man, you, you, you've been looking at the storm. You've been paralyzed with fear and worry. And Jesus is saying, if I'm in the boat, then bring your need to me. Jesus rebuked the wind. Now, what's interesting is here, this word rebuke in the Greek, it literally means this, to tax or to raise the price of something. That's interesting, to rebuke. In the Greek, this word means to tax or to raise the price. What is it? It's implying total ownership. When you own something, you can set the price of it. It's Jesus is demonstrating complete control. In fact, this word rebuke is the same word that Jesus used many times throughout the Gospels when he would rebuke unclean spirits. When there was evil, oppressive spirits tormenting and harassing people, Jesus would rebuke that evil, tormenting spirit. And guess what? That spirit had to obey. 
Jesus is exercising his authority, not just over the weather. This isn't just a physical challenge here. This has spiritual implications. And I want you to consider this. You and I, we can't choose the storms, but we can choose our spirit in the storm. I can't always determine what the weather's going to be. You can't choose what battles you're going to fight but you can choose the spirit that you're going to maintain in the midst of that storm. Are you with me? Here's the promise, Philippians 4, 6. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, let me stop right here and say this. If you're not praying, you have a lot to worry about. But if you pray, you got absolutely nothing to worry. Those two are mutually exclusive. Prayer and worry cannot coexist. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then, verse 7, check this out. Here is the conditional promise. Then you will experience what? God's peace. And this peace exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, notice what the, what the progression is here. Don't worry. Pray. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Check this out. It's very simple, but notice the progression. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to commit it to prayer. I'm going to tell God what I need, and I'm going to thank him for what he has done. And the guarantee is God giving you a peace that doesn't make sense. A peace that is totally irrational. A peace that the world can't understand. They think you should be freaking out. You're going through circumstances that are way beyond your ability to control, but on the inside there is peace. You see, the devil wants you to live in pieces, but God came to give you perfect peace. Can I have a good amen? And people look at you and be like, man, why aren't you freaking out? How in the world are you holding it all together? And you're like, I'm not. He's holding me together. Now, this peace isn't just for you to feel good. This peace has a function. The Bible says this peace, it guards, it protects, it defends both your heart and your mind. This is how Jesus could be asleep in the back of the boat, resting his head on a cushion while the disciples are in panic. Listen, the world wants us to panic, but God's people are marked with perfect peace. Notice this, that peace, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of Jesus. Notice how peace and presence, these two promises, are tied together. When Jesus is in my boat, I have nothing to fear. Man, when, when, when Jesus is in proximity, I can trust him. Even when things outside of the boat are going crazy, I know that in my heart, I can be in perfect peace. How many of you have ever told your kids, sit down? Say, I just want peace and quiet. Sit down. If I had a quarter for every time my mama told me to sit down. Why is that? Because we equate 
sitting with a peaceful atmosphere. I got a chair in my living room. It's my chair. The kids know it. Daddy walks in. If they're in my chair, oh, got to get up. I'm going to sit right there, and I'm going to prop my feet up. Come on, somebody. Peace. You know, in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, there was no chair. You know why? Because the priest's work was never done. Constantly tending to the bread of presence or making sure there was oil in the lamps or offering up incense or preparing the sacrifice. There was no chair for the priest because his work was endless until Jesus came. And when Jesus suffered, bled, died, and rose again, the Bible says that he went to heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God. Why is that important? You know why? Because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. God can give us perfect peace because he's already accomplished everything necessary for us to have it. He gives us his promise and he gives us his oath. Can I have a good amen? Oh, it's so good, so good. Sometimes, sometimes Jesus will calm the storm. But sometimes he lets the storm rage, and he will calm his child. And he, I want to hear me, beloved. Hear my heart on this. As your pastor, the storm may rage, but the storm outside doesn't have to get on the inside. God will keep you in perfect peace. Somebody say his presence. Say his peace. Say his power. Notice what it says here, verse 40. Then he said to the disciples, why, why were you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? There was a different kind of fear that, that, that set in on those disciples. It was a fear of the awesome, mighty power of God. And I want you to know this, that if you fear the Lord, I'm not, so, I'm not saying being afraid of God, but if you have a reverence and a respect for the presence of the Lord, if you fear God, you need fear nothing else. You don't have to be afraid of what man will do, what the economy will do. What's happening in Washington, D.C.? Come on, somebody. You don't have to let the threat of worldly chaos bleed into your soul when you know who holds the world in the palm of his hand. God, I fear you, and so I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid of anything or anyone. Now, notice, here's what I think is fascinating. This whole story began with Jesus telling his disciples the outcome. He told them, let's go to the other side. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And if Jesus' intent was to get to the other side, the disciples would be guaranteed to see the other side. Doesn't matter the storm in the middle. Come on now. But if Jesus says we're going, that's power. The only one who has power over creation is the creator himself. 
Jesus was there, the, the Holy Spirit, God the Father. In Genesis, when they looked over the chaos and, and, and they began to speak some things into existence, let there be light, boom, there was light. When he, when he separated the land from the sea, he says, see, you're only going to go this far and here is your boundary. You will go no further. That same God who set boundaries to the sea spoke calm to that storm. And I want you to know the same God who calms the sea is the God that can calm your soul. You can anchor your faith in his presence. Lord, I know you're with me. You can count on his peace. Lord, you're the prince of peace, and I'm trusting you. But you know what? His power is available to you as long as you got Jesus in that boat. Romans 8, 11, the scripture, here, here's this. The, the promise of Romans 8, 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Did, did, did you hear what the scriptures say? If you've got Jesus on the inside of you, that same power that brought life to Jesus when he was dead and buried, that resurrection power that lifted Jesus out of the grave, it's in you. You and I have access to incredible power through Jesus. Years later, after this episode, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 7. Remember the disciples said, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care we're about to perish? Don't you care? Peter writes many years later to the New Testament church. He says, you can cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. Where did that come from? I think it came from this moment. When Peter questioned if the Lord cared, he was convinced, not only, Lord, are you with me? God, I know you're for me. You're going to give me peace in the midst of the storm. But there is a power that God demonstrated to him in that moment. And that's why he could tell years later, he would write to the church and say, don't worry, cast your worries, cast all your cares on him. Because I know that he cares for you. Now, let me ask you this. Out of that storm, you think the disciples had all the proof they needed to trust him in inclement weather? Let me ask you this. Has God brought you through a storm? Now, now, now some of you are in a storm right now, and there's a temptation to worry. But if God brought you through previous storms, when you didn't think you were going to make it, guess what? You made it. You're still here. Man, you're still serving God. Now, now maybe, maybe you're battered and bruised, but you know what? God's with you. God's for you. Man, you've walked through some things. Man, his resume is enough to get you through the next storm. If he did it then, he can do it again. Amen. You received that, church. Put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.